Welcome to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a stimulating discussion of news and humor from a Jewish perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rabbi Mendy. Akutavach, Shavua Tov. Thank you so much for joining me on this beautiful Sunday afternoon for the Sunday Schmooze. Started a little late today because uh, Baruch Hashem, we had a, an amazing Shabbos to Shabbos. Uh, three of our boys were home. It was kind of like the men's Shabbos. As Rachi, along with three or four thousand of her closest friends, spent the weekend in New York to take part in the Kinus HaShluchais, the International Conference of the Rebbe's Shluchais, the Rebbe's uh, emissaries, the uh, female emissaries all around the world who are working day and night to light the spark of every single Jew and to bring a little more Yiddishkeit into our lives. So once a year, they get together in New York, just like we did, the male shluchim, the rabbis got together in um, October, November, we got together in November, the beginning of the month of Kislev in the Hebrew. The women get together always at, around the yard site of Rebetz and Chayim Mushka, whose yard site is tonight, the 22nd day in the month of Shvat. So Rachi was there in New York and along from our community, representing the community members, was Bracha Gilmeister who took part as well and continuing to take part today all the way through the famous banquet, which will take place uh, tonight at uh, a huge hall in the New York area. And you can watch that uh, banquet on our website, and the link is in the email I sent about today's show. So if you want to watch it this evening, um, go to the w- email I sent. And you can click on that to watch the live broadcast. And maybe, just maybe, you'll get to see Rachi. And if you do, send me a text or an email at what you know number time, at a minute, uh, moment, or whatever. On the video, on the uh, live broadcast, you saw Rachi and you win a prize. It's just like that. So we had all the boys here. Well, not, not all the boys. Shmuley didn't come, but Levi, Zalmi, and Shmuley came from Yeshiva to keep me company. You know, it's a lot to take the place of Rachi, even if it's just for a weekend. Um, they helped with the cooking, the cleaning, the setting up for Shabbos. Each one of them kicked in. And of course, our dear Khani was the female of the house. 
She lit the Shabbos candles for us and uh, helped. Even on Shabbos morning, as some of the women came, and what Rachi usually does to assist uh, the women, especially the elderly women who might come to Shul, Chani took that spot. She actually read a book to one of the women until the davening started, and then um, did the page numbers, etc. So, Baruch Hashem, we had a great Shabbos, great Friday night. Also, Rabbi Yossi and his boys from Mansfield uh, came to spend Shabbos, which made the Shabbos that much greater. It was a beautiful Shabbos all around. And uh, while we missed Rachi, we indeed enjoyed a special uh, Shabbos. Nice Fabrengen's Friday night and Shabbos. We had a double Fabrengen. Uh, a special thank you to the lambs who kicked in uh, to uh, sponsor the Kiddush and uh, help out with preparing and setting up the Kiddush. So all in all, it was a great Shabbos, but that entails also picking up the kids, dropping off the kids, dealing with a lot of extra stuff. Hence, we're starting a little late today, and I appreciate that you're here to join me. I have a, a great show ahead. I have an amazing story that I want to play for you. And we'll talk a little bit about what is the life of a shlucha? What is the life of a an emissary of the Rebbe, whether it's the female or the male emissary of the Rebbe? Before we do that, let's jump right in with uh, starting off our day in the right way. Starting off our week in the right way. If you have a... Uh, guys, if you have a yarmulke, put it on. And uh, if you don't have one, you could, you could do it right now. Get a yarmulke, but wait a second or two. And in the meantime, everybody, please take your right hand. You'll cover your eyes to say the Shema together. And, oh, for guys, by the way, if, if you don't have an actual yarmulke, you could put a hat on. You could put a um, shmata, whatever you want. You put it over your head, and then take your right hand, cover your eyes, and let's all say together. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch, Shem, Kivod, Malchuso, Le'olam, Va'ed. And now we're going to give a coin or two or more to Tzedakah, and I want to point out that... You know, on Shabbos, during the reading of the Torah, this week we read the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? And we'll talk about that uh, shortly. But on Shabbos, at the end of the reading of the Torah, we do a special prayer called Mishaberach. It's a prayer that asks God to bless and, and send healing to those who aren't well. And typically, we people who are in the shul have family members, friends, relatives who aren't well, and we say a blessing for them. And from time to time, I'll get a text or a call on a Friday and somebody will ask me to say a Misha Beirach for them, and we do that. I'll write it down, and as long as we have a minion and we have a Torah reading, we say a Misha Beirach. This week we had a double Torah reading. We had the reading in the morning with the Ten Commandments, and then after lunch, some guys stayed, so we also did the Mincha and a Torah reading there as well. So we said Misha Beirach, and at the, in the prayer of Misha Beirach, it says that we're going to um, give charity in honor 
of the person that we said a mishaberach for. And usually the Gabai will announce after the prayer, the Gabai will announce, please remember to give tzedakah for all those for whom a mishaberach was said. So a good time to do that is now. You know, tzedakah can be in the form of a, uh, a credit card donation. Tzedakah could be in the form of putting money in the pushka. It doesn't matter. The main point is that we give tzedakah in honor of uh, those we had said the prayer for. So grab some coins, give tzedakah, and especially today, on the day that tonight is going to be the yard site, the 35th yard site of the Rebetzin, Rebetzin Chaya Mushka, it's a good time to give some extra tzedakah. And finally, if you have a drink, nice hot coffee, or uh, water, or l'chaim, whatever it is, let's say bracha all together, and then we'll take a sip or more. Baruch Atah Adenoi Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehakol Nihiyah Bidvaro. You know, growing up as a Jew, it may seem obvious that storytelling is an integral part of Jewish living. And today that's going to bear out in our show today. We see even in this week's Torah portion that we read yesterday that Moshe tells a story. He tells this to his father-in-law, Yisro comes to visit them in the desert and he tells them a story. He tells them a story about the, their recent redemption from Egypt. He tells them about the splitting of the sea. He tells them about the epic battle with Amalek. Storytelling is very, very important. In fact, the stories that I grew up with hearing from my father while we walked down Kingston Avenue, which is the main thoroughfare in the community that I grew up in Crown Heights, the main street, the main drag, which has, you know, all the kosher stores and the the um, the clothing stores, the cleaners, the uh, in the restaurants, all of that is Kingston Avenue. And as we'd walk up from our home, let's say to Shul, we'd go to Shul in 770, it was like a 15, 10 or 15 minute walk. During that time, he would tell us stories. And those stories stayed with me. They had a huge impact on the way I grew up. And storytelling and the stories that we hear, both biblical stories and the stories that we hear and give over to our children about our grandparents, our great-grandparents, has a huge impact, had a huge impact on you and certainly will have an impact on your children and grandchildren if only we tell them these stories. Now sometimes... You have the opportunity to tell a long, drawn-out story, which we'll do later today. But other times, you know, your kids want to, you, you on a short drive, you're going, and you want to tell a story, and you, you tell a short um, snippet, a short story. And as tonight is the 35th yard site of Rebetzin Chaya Mushka Schneerson, the wife of the Rebbe, I'll tell you this. She was an incredible and a brilliant woman. But she also remained out of the limelight 
of the Chassid, the Chabad movement. Most of us never even saw her. I saw her just a couple of times through a car window, but more or less, she stayed out of the limelight. At the same time, she supported fully, heart and soul, body, heart and soul. She supported the Rebbe's spiritual revolution that he was conducting throughout the world. And we know only a few short stories about her, mainly from the few families that were really close to her and would visit her on a regular basis, as well as from the um, home helpers, the home caretakers who would take care in the house. Of Some of them would take care of helping prepare meals. Some would take care of... Um, you know, the, the physical aspects, you know, things break in the house, need to be fixed. So those are the, from those people, we've heard some amazing stories about her life. And when she passed away, the Rebbe said, quoting a term from the prophets, V'achai yitain elibo, that those, the living, shall take to heart. In other words, when someone so special and so unique passes away, we need to take the lessons of their life for ourselves. And as the women are gathering in New York, the truth is, the two stories I'm going to tell you now epitomize very much what every single shlucha, every single rabbitson is doing in their corner of the world. Some corners are bigger than others, but whether it's Milford, or it's uh, Montreal, or it's Miami. Every single shlucha is living this epitome, or the, the same life that the Rebetzin taught us. So, back in the 1930s and 1940, the Rebbe and the Rebetzin lived in France. And when the Nazis, Yamach Shemam, may their names be erased, when they invaded France, people were running for their lives. And so the roads were filled with refugees that were escaping Paris. So the very disgusting Nazi pilots who saw these people, defenseless people, defenseless civilians running through the streets, they would drop bombs on them just because. Or they would just shoot randomly at them just because. It was a thrill for them. Human life meant nothing to them. So anyone who was traveling, trying to get out of Paris was obviously, it was an absolute nightmare for them to get out. And once... While the Rebetzin was walking in the street, and it was during one of those air attacks, the Rebetzin noticed a man who was standing on the road, and he was oblivious to the oncoming danger that was coming his way. And there was a, a bomb coming directly towards him. So the Rebetzin ran over and pushed him out of the way, and he fell right into a ditch. But as the bomb fell and the shrapnel flew all over the place, it completely missed him. He 
was unscathed, besides maybe some, you know, feeling that he got pushed over. But other than that, he was completely fine. He lived and he was okay. Forty years later, when Rebetzin related this story, she told it to the, one of the home attendants. And he said that he noticed that when she told over the story, she seemed pained when she said that she pushed the man into the ditch. So this home attendant asked the Rebetzin, but you saved his life. Why are you feeling pained by that? And she answered, because pushing someone is always inappropriate. Even when it was necessary, pushing someone and causing them some discomfort upset her. Yes, she saved his life. And yes, it was important. But it bothered her that she had to push someone. Another story, which I've told over a number of times, and it talks to the heart of the positivity of every shlucha. In the 1960s, one of the families that enjoyed a close relationship with the Rebetzin was the, the uh, Jaffe family, who lived lives currently, some of the family still lives, in Manchester, England. And every time they would come to New York, they would go visit the Rebetzin in the house. One time they came to New York, they came to celebrate the engagement of their daughter to Rabbi Lou, Rabbi Shmuel Lou, who's currently the Rebbe's emissary in um, London, England. Now, Rabbi Lou never had, didn't have that special relationship with the Rebetzin, and therefore, like all of us, was never in the Rebbe's house, never met the Rebetzin, and and uh, wasn't something while his his bride was someone who visited the Rebbe on a regular basis. So to her it was normal, to him not so much. And now they brought the new groom to visit the Rebbe in her home. You can imagine how nervous he was walking into the Rebbe's home for the first time in his life. He was shaking, and the Rebbe in all her elegance. Served them these beautiful, uh, served them some punch, red punch, in these beautiful glass cups. And in each cup was also a, a, a thin glass straw. And she put on, and, and because he was so nervous, he moved his arm by mistake. He didn't rec- notice the straw. And he knocked the straw over. And the whole cup, this thin glass cup, filled with red fruit punch, spilled all over the beautiful white tablecloth. You can imagine his horror when he realized, and it was justified horror, that he's in the Rebbe's house for the first time in his life, he's meeting the Rebbe for the first time in his life, and worse than anything else, he now ruined their beautiful tablecloth. And not... Missing a beat. The Rebetzin had a beautiful smile and she said, Oh, that's okay. It's a simen bracha. It's a good omen for the marriage that's coming up. Now, 
I should parenthetically I should say that it's brought down in some Jewish sources that when wine spills, mistakenly spills, not when you pour it, otherwise we'd be pouring wine all over the place. But when wine spills on its own, it's a simon bracha. It's a sign of blessing. It's a good omen. And here, the Rebetzin, you know, juxtaposed it or, or used that same idea about wine. She used it for this red fruit punch just so that she could make this young yeshiva boy, this young groom, feel comfortable. But she said it with such beauty and such grace that the soon-to-be father-in-law, Mr. Jaffe, commented on the story and he said that I was, it was so beautiful the way she said that it was a good omen that I felt almost, I was tempted to, to spill my own glass of fruit punch on the table. She seemed so happy that it happened. These two short stories about the Rebetzin really points to what the shluchos do and what Judaism expects of us to care for one another. We are expected to ensure another person's material and spiritual well-being. But that's not enough. We also need to be sensitive to each other's feelings and then strive to help everyone achieve true inner peace and happiness. Please enjoy the song Uferatsta, which we sing at the end of benching every single day or at Chabad every single Shabbos. Um, it's, this is a song that's just sung by one of these famous Israeli singers. His name is Ariel Zilber. You can Google him if you like. And he sings the Uferatsa song with a nice Israeli twist. And this song is very apropos because this, this song is the rallying cry, the motto, the theme of the Rebbe's shluchim, the Rebbe's emissaries, and the Rebbe's ambassadors around the world. Uferatsta yama v'kedma v'tzafona v'negba. You should burst forth to the west, to the east, to the north and to the south, burst forth. It's not enough just to go there and, you know, quietly and do my little thing. Nobody will know I'm Jewish. I'm going to hide away, but rather be loud and proud. I'm a Jew and I'm proud. And we're going to be there to uplift every single one of us until we uplift the world. And bring about the revelation of Mashiach now. Sing along the Uferatsa song. Faras 
you go now that's a new Faratsta that we can all join in and enjoy I love the extra oomph of the Israeli style uh, music so I, I you know oftentimes we're asked the question who is a Jew what is a Jew and obviously the simple answer is a Jew is someone who was born to a Jewish mother and a Jew or converted to Judaism, Kahalacha, according to Jewish law, the way we converted to Judaism back 3,335 years ago or so. Um, you can do the math. It was in the year 2448, and this year we're in the year 5783. So do the math and let me know if I was right. 3,335 years is what I, my guess is. Anyway, that's because I don't do math on the fly. So, um, at Mount Sinai, which we read about yesterday, the conversion process, so to speak, of all the Jewish people, as we accepted Judaism upon ourselves, was acceptance of all the Torah and mitzvahs. We did that by calling out Nase Venishma, that we will do all of the mitzvahs that God gave us, Venishma, and then we will also study about all those laws. In other words, the doing the action comes first. It's nice to study, but if you study all day about tefillin and you don't put it on, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. Similarly, if you study all the ins, ins and outs of lighting Shabbos candles, giving tzedakah, 
or loving your fellow as yourself, but you don't actually do it. You don't light the candles. You're not giving charity. And you're acting like a jerk to your fellow Jew. Then the, the study is practically worthless. So studying it is important, but the action is most important. When someone converts, they have to accept to do all the mitzvahs. The second part was for the men to have a circumcision, and then they all brought a carbon, a sacrifice. And that has stayed the same for all the years since then of how people converted. I saw this great video about what makes a person Jewish. We've talked about the congressman recently who said he was Jewish. What makes a person Jewish? Now, it's a video which I'm turning into audio for you. And only at one place during the video is something that you probably would rather see than just hear. But it's a very beautifully well done, self-explanatory video, which will be audio, um, explaining what makes a person Jewish. What makes a Jewish person Jewish? Do you need a kippah, a necklace, synagogue membership? Do you have to do anything at all? Here's a mythbuster. Plenty of Jewish people have never seen a synagogue and have no clue about Jewish symbols, beliefs, traditions, or cuisine. But they are as Jewish as Moses. So what's it all about? You see, we love to sort things into categories, create neat labels, and use those labels to help us understand our world a little better. Here are four popular ways of classifying people. Does being Jewish have to do with any of these? Are you Jewish because you belong to the Jewish race? Hold on, is there even such a thing as a Jewish race? Look at these images. These folks are all equally Jewish. Race doesn't appear to be a factor. Actually, non-Jewish people from the most diverse places and races can become fully Jewish. So we clearly can't define Jewishness as belonging to a specific race. Why don't we try culture? Are you Jewish because you follow the Jewish culture? Well, you might be, if there was a Jewish culture to follow. But there is no single culture common to all Jews. Here's why. The ancient Jews lived in the land of Israel for over a millennia, but they were forced into exile by the ancient Romans. That happened almost two millennia ago. Since then, Jews settled all over the globe. The result of Jews spending centuries in very different kinds of places was that they developed many very distinct cultures, including unique ways of dressing, unique foods, styles of music, prayers, practices, dialect, and celebrations. The result? There is no single uniform Jewish culture. So Jewishness is not based on culture. What about nationality? That's a legal term. It means that you belong to a certain country or state. If Jewish is a description of your nationality, it would mean that you are a citizen of a Jewish state. But that's not the case. We've got British, French, Italian, Turkish, South African, Swedish, Spanish, Argentinian, and Indian Jews. You'll find Jews in every country, and almost all of them are citizens only of the state within which they reside. Even the state of Israel includes millions of non-Jewish Israeli citizens. That pops the nationality argument, doesn't it? And here's a bigger buster. Historically, the Jews did not have an independent state for most of their existence as a people. Strike three. 
religion. That sounds good. Are you Jewish because you follow the Jewish religion? Well, no, because many Jews do not associate themselves with any religion. In fact, there are many Jews who do not even know they are Jewish. And there are also Jews who practice a religion other than Judaism. But according to Judaism, they are all equally Jewish. Phew, this is really tough. I guess it's time for the one and only Jewish answer. Being Jewish means that you have a Jewish soul. How do you get a Jewish soul? The most common way is through a Jewish mother. You see, according to Judaism, every child to a Jewish mother is naturally born with a Jewish soul. Your mother's race and nationality make no difference. She might follow the Jewish religion or culture, or she might not. But if she's Jewish, you're Jewish. And there's no opting out. If you're born a Jew, it means that God decided that you're meant to be Jewish for life. So if you're Jewish, thank your mom. Then there's conversion. If you were not born to a Jewish mother, but you complete the authentic and challenging Jewish process of becoming Jewish, God will give you a Jewish soul at the moment of conversion. So what can we take away from all this? It is the privilege and responsibility of each Jew to lead a Jewish life. But those who do not are authentically Jewish. Living the Jewish way allows your soul to shine, but it does not create your soul. That's already alive and kicking inside you, waiting for you to connect. So what is a Jew? It's a spiritual force within you. Indeed, that is what makes a person a Jew. It's all in the neshama. It's all in the soul. And we all have one of those. And that's truly what Rachi and all the shluchais, all the Rebbe's emissaries are trying to reach, both to reach into our own souls, to make our own souls shine, and to find that pintalayid, the point of a Jewish soul, and bring it to light in every single Jew that we encounter. As you know, the holiday of Purim is coming up quicker than we can imagine. In fact, as of Thursday, we were four weeks away from Purim. That's right. On March 6th, I'm not Thursday, as of Monday, as of Monday, we celebrated Tubishvat last Monday. So as of Monday night, we're four weeks away from Purim. On March 6th and March 7th, we're going to be celebrating Purim. And that comes along with a whole host of activities. So firstly, on Purim itself, we have the reading of the Megillah on March 6th at night. And then on March 7th, we have Megillah readings and parties and celebrations. And of course, the huge... Purim celebration in the evening where we're going to, this year's theme is going to be an international Purim. You see, this year is the year of Hakel, the year of gathering together. So we thought, what better theme than bringing people together from all over the world and we'll have delicious foods from all over the world and you can come dressed up in a costume of the country of your choice or any costume. 
but it'll be nice to have people dressed, you know, from France, from Italy, from China, from Israel, whatever it is. We'll definitely have food from various countries, including Italy and Israel, different kinds of food. And of course, we'll have balloons from China. Bada boom. You know, just earlier, uh, a couple from our community stopped by about an hour ago, a little over an hour ago, stopped by to, um, you know, pay the, uh, make the donation for an upcoming Kiddush. And we, we were discussing the difference between a Kiddush and a Kaddish, right? You know, Kiddush is a, is a beautiful celebration on Shabbos. We sit, we eat, we say L'chaim, and make Kiddush and Kaddish, we say, is the mourner's prayer. And sometimes people make a Kiddush for a Kaddish. You make a Kiddush a celebration for or in time of a yard site, someone's uh, anniversary of passing, and you sponsor a Kiddush in that honor. You could sponsor a Kiddush for other reasons too. You could sponsor a Kiddush in honor of uh, good news in your family, in honor of becoming healthy, in honor of a birthday, an anniversary, whatever it is. But this one was, we were discussing a Kiddush and a Kaddish, which reminded me about the story of the guy who goes to the races. He's not Jewish, and he goes to the races, and he sees a rabbi go over to one of the horses, and uh, he does a little prayer. And uh, would you, wouldn't you know it, the horse comes in first place. He says, wow, that's exciting. So he keeps looking, and he sees the rabbi go over to the next horse at the next race, and this time... Um, the rabbi blesses the horse. So this guy goes now and he and he puts money down on that horse that the rabbi said a prayer. And, w- and it, wouldn't you know, it came in first place. And as each race that day went on, the rabbi would go over to a horse, say a prayer, and it would come in first and he was making a lot of money. Finally, it was the last race of the day and the rabbi goes over to the horse and he says a prayer and the guy takes all his money that he has and he puts it on that horse. And lo and behold, this horse comes in dead last. So he runs over to the rabbi. He says, I don't understand. I was following you a whole day. Every single horse you went over to and you prayed, it came in first. Why is it this last one came in dead last? The rabbi says, Are you Jewish? He says, No, I'm a goy. I'm not Jewish. Ah, that's the problem. You don't know the difference between a Kiddush and a Kaddish. So, it's always important to know the difference and to be able to celebrate. Obviously, there's a time when people have to say Kaddish, memorialize those who've passed on, but we can't forget that we always have to be ready to do a Kiddush. And Purim is all about the Kiddush, all about the celebration. And we hope you're going to join us. Go to our website, jewishma.com, J-E-W-I-S-H-M-A.com, and, and, and log in there and reserve your spot for Purim. We want to make sure this year Purim has more people than ever before. We're going to have entertainment for the adults, for the children, foods, like I said, from all over different countries. And it all takes place on March 8th, March 7th, I'm sorry, March 7th is when it all happens. And we'd love you to be a part of it. During that holiday, we also, I'm going to be going to visit the prisons as I, as I do anyway, but I'm going to be going to read the Megillah for the Jewish inmates there. And you're going to have the opportunity to hear the Megillah here at Chabad 
or at the various senior living facilities around town. Also, before Purim, we have the amazing project called the Purim Project. Every year, on or before Purim, we give out a few hundred uh, gift packages, food gift packages, as it is a mitzvah to do on Purim. The mitzvah is to give your friend of at least two kinds of food, and we give that out every year. We make a nice um, uh, souvenir, goes along with it, and the community takes part in giving it out. What do I mean by that is that we have a list of community members up on the website. And you can go on your website, you log in with your own login and password, and you can choose who to send um, gifts to. You choose who to send gifts to. And then when um, Purim comes, or the week or so before Purim, we're going to be delivering these gifts. And it's going to have, in each gift, it's going to have the names of the people that sent. So if you sent to five people, to ten people, to fifty people, each one of them is going to have your name listed as one of the people who sent them this gift. It's a beautiful project. It helps support the programs we do here at Chabad. And more importantly, in a year of Hakel, it brings people together. So if you want to take part, go to the email I sent you from the Perm Project, which has your login. If you don't have the email, if you don't have your login, reach out to me and I will give you your login information. The most important thing is do it today. Don't wait. Don't wait for another email reminder. Take care of it today. Go online and reserve your um, gifts. Now, some of you may have noticed that uh, Rocky posted a picture of me standing outside on one of the coldest days of the year with these huge pallets, boxes on a pallet. And Rocky asked, who knows, who can guess what was in that? And uh, people gave all sorts of ideas. And lo and behold, uh, one or more were correct. And that is that we ordered and got cases and cases and cases of Shmura Matzah. And that's because this year, as a year of Hakel, we're going to give even to more homes, more Jewish homes are going to receive some free Shmura Matzah as a gift from us. And you can be part of that as well. This year, we're going to be delivering them together with the Shalach Manis, with the Purim Project. So if you want to be able to help us, you can um, reach out to Rachi, R-O-C-H-Y, Rachi, R-O-C-H-Y, at gotchabad.com and tell her what days and times you have available that you can deliver, whether it's one, five, ten, fifty or more uh, gift packages and you'll give, you'll deliver the Purim project package along with matzah for Pesach. And the reason we're doing that this year early is number one, because why not do things early? But number two is being that we're doing the amazing trip to Israel, we're going to have less time after Purim and therefore we need all the help we can get to be able to get out as many matzah and Purim gifts that we can before Purim. And this year we're going to be giving out at least 600 homes are going to get matzah, shmura matzah, the special shmura matzah for Pesach. This matzah is a very special matzah. You see, it's the same kind of matzah that your ancestors ate when they left Egypt. The matzah was a matzah that was done by hand. 
It was watched, hence it's called Shmura Matzah. Shmura means to be, it's watched. It was watched from the moment that the, the wheat is cut off until it's ground into flour and made into uh, matzah. It's completely care- they're completely careful to make sure that it only takes less than 18 minutes to make the special matzah. And the Kabbalah tells us that if you eat this matzah at, at the Seder nights, it is the food of faith and the food of healing. It brings healing and faith and we all need some of that. So we want to make sure to be able to tap in to the Passover energy that our souls should connect with the Passover energy. We're going to make sure that as many homes as possible are going to have Shmura Matzah this year. And like I said, you can be part of making that happen. And we don't have a lot of time. There's less than a month left till Purim, and you got to get to work. And talking about rabbis and kaddishes and kiddishes, you know, I remember the story about a rabbi in Poland back in the shtetl. His name was Rabbi Felder. And, he's, and he sees this young boy, he was a young farmer, and he's struggling to, to take this load of hay and put it back on top of the, the, the cart, the carriage that he had, because it, it fell off, and, and he's loading it up. So the rabbi says to the young man, look, you look a little bit too hot. You know, why don't you take a moment to rest? Here, let me give you a drink, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hand. And the young boy says, no, thanks. My father wouldn't like it if I stopped, you know, picking up the hay right now. And the rabbi says, don't be silly. Everyone is entitled to a break. Come, here, have a drink. Rest in the shade. And I'll help you. After you're done, I'll help you. And again, the young man says, no, 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 rabbi. I appreciate it. But my father would be really, really mad if I stopped loading up the hay right now. Finally, the rabbi is losing his patience and he says, your father must be a real slave driver. Tell me, where is he? Let me go talk to him. What is he thinking that he's making his son work so hard in the heat of the day? And the young farmer replies, he's right there under the pile of hay. You see, sometimes it's right there in front of our eyes and we got to get to work and we don't even notice it. So Purim is coming and we got to get to work and right after that is Passover and we want to make sure that this year we connect with as many Jews as possible before the holiday of Purim and then again before the holiday of Passover. So, are you going to help us? Please reach out to myself, Arachi, and let us know when we can count on you to help us with these deliveries. And also, if you know any teenagers that would like to uh, volunteer, please send them our way or give us their number and we'll reach out to them. The bottom line is we're going to reach as many Jewish souls as we can. And that's what the Kinnis is all about. And if you want to watch the Kinnis, Tonight at 6.30 p.m., watch the women's banquet. You can go to our website, gotchabad.com forward slash live, L-I-V-E. So it's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com forward slash L-I-V-E. I I promised you that I was going to tell another story, but actually there's a great story I want to share with you which connects Shmur Matzah, 
the Jewish soul, the endurance of the Jewish soul, no matter what, no matter where. But it's a long story, and I found that Rabbi Jacobson uh, tells the story as well, and you know he's a great storyteller. So Bleed that without any promises, there's not enough time to play it this week, but I will play it next week. It's a fascinating story that recently happened, and you're not going to want to miss it. So there you go, cliffhanger. Join us next week to hear that story, and it connected to the kinnus which is taking place today. I don't know what it is. You know, I mentioned earlier about um, having balloons from China at the Purim party, but I don't know. I'm not sure what's, what the deal is with Jews and Chinese food. Do you know? Why is it that Jews eat Chinese food or love Chinese food, and then at certain times of year you have to eat Chinese food? I don't know what it's all about, but I, I, I have this very, very important question. The Chinese culture goes back, I don't know, let's make it up, between two and 3,000 years. But the Jewish culture goes back over 5,000 years. And the very, very important question we need to know the answer to is, what did the Jews eat for 2,000 years? Bada boom. So, you know, they, the Chinese obviously had an effect on the Jewish people with their food, but did you ever notice? Did you ever see a Chinese person walk into a Jewish delicatessen and say, I, I need some gefilte fish, or I need some uh, potato kugel? It doesn't happen. But Jews are always looking for a kosher Chinese restaurant to get their fix of lo mein or uh, broccoli chicken or sweet and sour chicken. What's the deal with that? So, truth be told, while you may not see Chinese people looking for gefilte fish, we indeed have had a major effect on the Chinese culture. Yesterday, we read the Ten Commandments. I mentioned this earlier. Now, you may know this, we read the Ten Commandments actually three times during the course of the year. You see, in the Torah, the Ten Commandments is listed twice. Once, yes, what we read yesterday, and then once again in the summertime, just before the high holidays, we read the Ten Commandments again. Because it's listed a second time in the end of the Torah in Deuteronomy. And then we read it a third time in the year, and that is on the holiday of Shavuos. That's the holiday we celebrate receiving the Torah. Now, as I said, it's listed in the Torah twice. Once in the Parsha yesterday and once again later on in the Torah. Did you know that there are a few small and subtle differences between the way it was written in the Torah yesterday and between the way it's going to be written in uh, the summer, in the Torah portion later on in the summer? Mainly, it's about the commandment to keep the Shabbos. You see, in the Torah reading that we read yesterday, it says, Zachar es Yom HaShabbos. Hebrew word for the day brought to you by the Armenians. Zachar means remember. Remember the day of Shabbos. 
But later on, in the book of Deuteronomy, where it talks, it says the Ten Commandments, it says there's Shamar Es Yom HaShabbos. Again, the Hebrew word Shamar means to guard or to observe the day of Shabbos. Additionally, in the reason why we keep Shabbos, you know why the reason? Why do we celebrate Shabbos? I'm sure you know. In the Torah portion we read yesterday, it says that we celebrate Shabbos because six days did God create the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. In other words, the reason we're to keep Shabbos is, as everyone knows, because God created the universe in six days and rested on the seventh. So, we're required to keep Shabbos. But if you look in the second time the commandments are listed, in Deuteronomy, the Torah tells us the reason to keep Shabbos is to remember that we were redeemed from Egypt. So in this week's parasha, it says, remember the Shabbos. And why? Because God rested on the seventh day. <clears throat> and in Deuteronomy, it says, keep the Shabbos and guard the Shabbos. Why? Because God took you out of Egypt. So why is there two versions of, the ten, of this commandment in the Ten Commandments? Turns out that they're actually referring to two aspects of Shabbos. There's a Shabbos part that's just for us as Jewish people and there's a part that's connected to all people, all the nations of the world. And that is this week's Torah portion where it says to remember the Shabbos, that it should become part of our psyche, is talking to the entire world. Everybody has to remember that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. But then, when it talks about keeping the Shabbos, actually doing the mitzvahs of Shabbos, not working on Shabbos, making Kiddush, not Kaddish, making Kiddush, eating challah, going to shul, those are the things for the Jewish people. And there the Torah tells us, why are you doing it? Because I took you out of Egypt. Now here's something very interesting. I said before that we've made a huge impact on Chinese culture. You know, when we talk about time, there's good reasons for why time is set up the way it is. For example, why is there 365 days in the year? The solar cycle is 365 days. So a year is 365 days. Even a month why is a month a month? Because the lunar cycle is 30 days. It's actually not 30 days, it's actually 29 and a half days. So one month is 29, the next month is 30 in the Jewish calendar. But a month also has a reason, a, a, a natural reason for years because that's the cycle of the sun. Natural reason for the, for the month, it's, a natural, it's the cycle of the moon. Even the cycle of the day, 24 hours in the day. Because a day and a night is 24 hours. But then there's the week. Can you tell me why is a week seven days? Seven days doesn't make any sense. Nothing is seven in all of the cycles. 365 is not divided by seven. You know, when we say a year has 
um, 52 weeks, it's really 52 weeks in a day. A month is not divided by seven. So why is a week seven days? The only reason a week is seven days is because God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. There's no other reason for a week to be seven days. You know, I was looking this up on Wikipedia. It turns out there were many cultures that had a week for longer or shorter than seven days. Some had a, had a, had, had a week which were ten days. They worked for nine days and they rested on the tenth. Some cultures had a week of five days. Here, Wikipedia says as follows. Other ancient cultures had different week lengths, including ten in Egypt and an eight-day week in Etruscans. I don't even know what that is. And ancient Chinese also had a five-day week. I'm sorry, a ten-day week. And then everyone switched to having the week that the Jewish people have that was given to us by God. So the mere fact that anybody tells you, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in Judaism, think of this. The entire world commemorates Shabbos in one way or another because they have a week of seven days. And God told us in the Parsha yesterday, remember the Shabbos because I created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And every single person in the world, including the Chinese, do that. So while we may enjoy Chinese food, they're enjoying a seven-day weekday, a seven-day week, all because God said so. Ladies and gentlemen, it was really exciting that you joined me for today's show. Um, I hope that you'll spend some time reflecting and thinking about Rebetzin Chaya Mushka, whose yard site is tonight, the 22nd day of Shvat. She passed away in 1988, 35 years ago. Take a moment to give some extra charity. Say an extra prayer. Study for five minutes or so. Do something special in her honor. And you can join the Shluchos, the Rebbe's emissaries, tonight at 6.30 at gotchabad.com forward slash live for their amazing banquet. And let us merit that even before the yard site, we we have the revelation of Mashiach, and so that Rebbe Chaim Mushka will be back with us. Ladies and gentlemen, remember this important rule. Your next deed will change the world, so make it a good one. Lechayim! You 
You've been listening to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. For more information on the Chabad House, including upcoming events, adult programs, Hebrew school, and more, visit gotchabad.com. That's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. Shalom.